Welcome to episode three of the America Me podcast. It's good to have you back. Uh, we have spent episodes one and two basically laying the groundwork for uh, the concept of earning our Americanness, earning our American way of life. Uh, as I've tried to repeat, uh, the concept, the idea, the notion of earnership is the only way in which we can both preserve and build upon this American experience. If we are to abandon the notion of earnership, if we are to abandon the notion that we must daily, moment by moment, earn our Americanness, earn our American experience, we will fall back into a situation in which we may never recover. So, uh, as you may recall, at the end of episode two, I sent out a teaser in which I was talking about the minimum wage and how that minimum wage can, in fact, uh, stifle the concept of earnership. So I want to get a little bit deeper into that uh, in this particular episode and see uh, how, in fact, this is true. So, as you know, a minimum wage only applies to entry-level positions. A minimum wage cannot apply to any other type of position. When I say a minimum wage, I mean a federally financed or, excuse me, a federally implemented uh, minimum wage. If you have been working at company X and you've moved up the chain, you do not have a minimum wage in the sense that the government dictates what the lowest amount of money you can earn for doing X amount of labor. So we know that a minimum wage only applies to entry level work. So if you have a minimum wage, no matter where it is set, you will have certain numbers of people who will be content with that level of wage. They may change from one job to the next, but generally and typically, they will remain within the confines of whatever this minimum wage is. Now, when you start to increase the level of the minimum wage, then correspondingly, you will increase the level of satisfaction, if you will, for the people who are willing to work for that particular wage as a beginning rate. Now, let's say, as we have been discussing here in the United States, that the minimum wage is set at $15 per hour. And let's take a typical unskilled entry-level position at, say, a fast food restaurant. Now, my first job, actually, was at a McDonald's, a fast food restaurant, obviously. 
and we did have a minimum wage at that time, but that minimum wage was $3.35. So let's say that we are at $15 for this entry level work. Well, $15 per hour on a gross level would mean that a person would have made $120 per day. If we say that a person works five days per week, then that means that a person will make $600 a week. $600 a week is roughly $2,400 a month. $2,400 a month is factored out to be about uh, $28,800 a year. So, a person who earns $28,800 per year may be perfectly satisfied with that particular wage because, well, in a regime where the minimum wage is lower, then they would not clear that hurdle. So any rise in the said minimum wage would obviously raise the amount of money that they are able to generate. Now, this generation of money for doing entry-level work is obviously not based upon labor. It is obviously not based upon skill. It's not based upon excellence. It's based upon fiat of the government saying this is what you have to pay an employee as an entry-level worker. I'm not even going to get into all of the aspects of the inflationary uh, pressures that come from increasing labor costs. You know, that's another story. I'm strictly focused on what happens to the person who makes the minimum wage. Now, in a non-minimum wage environment, say, for instance, if you had that same fast food job and the company itself decided that they were going to pay you, say, $4 an hour. On $4 an hour, you take that job, you realize that unless I am willing to move up to get an increase in pay, this $4 per hour is not going to be sufficient to make ends meet. Now, all of you who are listening to me certainly remember your first job. Your first job was your first experience in the working world and, you know, there were some successes and some failures. But you were learning. You were learning how to be an employee. You were learning the skills of being on time, performing the job to the best of your ability, setting standards, exceeding goals. This is what an entry-level position is designed to do. Whether you stay with that company or you uh, branch out to another, the entry-level position is designed primarily to give us those work skills that will allow us to uh, have a foundation to move up. But if I am a worker and I am getting paid that minimum wage that we talked about before, Maybe there's a disincentive to do all of the things to actually move up. But if I'm being paid $4 an hour, there is a big incentive to move up 
a big incentive if I'm not uh, adequately moving up to go to another company where I might have the opportunity to move up because my ability to rise in the business is also tied to my ability to generate more income. Now, for the individual who's generating more income, that is good for him or her because now they can save more, invest more, consume more. You know, it's up to you what you do with your money. You know, I'm not a personally preaching, you know, that a person must choose a particular thing to do with their money. That's up to you. But if you want to achieve financial stability if you want to say buy a car or if you want to rent an apartment or if you want to buy a home or whatever you realize immediately that you must make more money and in order to make more money you must perform well on your job that's for the individual now what about for the company for the company obviously having a high quality employee means that the product or service that is provided to the community is superior than if they had non uh, high performing workers. So the company begins to obviously be able to have a good reputation in the community. They can offer superior services they can diversify and offer more services there's just almost a limited uh, an unlimited array of things that can be done to benefit this company but it doesn't stop there now we're talking about the community what happens in the community well in the community if you have an efficient business performing there that means that the community is able to enjoy the offerings of a business and those offerings being superior create a desire in the community members for either more of those goods, a diversified array of those goods, goods that may be compatible with those goods and so on. So that can lead to further jobs, further employment, further services, so many things that build out a community. Now, keep in mind, all of these things are based upon the principle of I need to perform well at my job in order to increase my financial wherewithal, in order to increase my knowledge of the firm, in order to increase my skill set. Now, that is the picture that generally was the case in the United States before the implementation of a minimum wage. And when the minimum wage was implemented and it was, uh, I'll use the word reasonable, still you had this sort of motif, people moving up, so on. But once you uh, implement a minimum wage and that minimum wage interferes with the other uh, commitments or other plans of a business, then you have different 
outcomes. If I am business A and I am now obligated to pay my entry level employee, so $15 an hour, and I'm not even going to go into what you probably will have to pay uh, folks at a higher tier in the business because, I mean, obviously, if you're paying the entry-level guy 15 bucks, you can't pay a person who's seasoned and been working for the company for a while and understands what they're doing that same wage. You, you just can't do it. But I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to deal specifically with the minimum wage as it applies to the company and the minimum wage worker. So if the business is obligated to pay this amount, this will have almost an immediate dilatory effect on employment. I mean, how many employees can you pay the minimum wage and still be able to generate a margin that will take care of your needs as the entrepreneur, as well as the needs of your suppliers and so on down the list. You've got to cut something somewhere or you've got to raise the price for the consumer of your goods or some combination of both. In any event, the entry level job now becomes quite restricted in terms of the amount of people that you can bring in for that same entry level position. Now, major companies, they can, in many respects, still uh, retain employees at the minimum wage. But uh, major companies, they have an out because they can offshore their work. You know, we have lots of companies that have abandoned the United States to go to markets such as China and so on. That's also another story, and we can get into that at some other point, but we, we won't get into that today either. But we will continue along this track where you have minimized the amount of employees that a standard business can hire for these entry-level positions. In addition, the person who's working at that minimum wage will, in many instances, no longer seek to obtain more. A person who was making a minimum wage of $7.50, say, and now makes a minimum wage of 15 bucks an hour, has doubled his income, doubled, just by fiat, just by a government decree, so to speak. That person has doubled their income. If you double a person's income, how likely do you think it is that this person is going to be interested in earning? I mean, they've just been gifted uh, double dose of salary. So it's very difficult to have that person maintain a desire to really achieve and excel. Now, you will get some people who, who will decide to do that, but many people won't. So what we've had by offering these consistent rises in minimum wage is robbery of production robbery of the ability to actually earn and achieve robbery in the volition or or velocity of our economy in America because if I'm making that 
and I'm satisfied with that. I have very little uh, desire, very little incentive to rise in the chain of the business. So that stymies innovation. It stymies growth. A person who is contented with doubling their wages at an entry level may never discover something inside of them that could change how we function in various ways. You know, every single person has within them the ability to achieve greatness. There's no doubt about this. But if you put certain roadblocks in the way to achieving this greatness, then they generally won't. And that doesn't just affect them. That affects every person, every entity, every relationship that involves them. This is the sinister nature of a minimum wage. It robs earnership. It rewards, if you allow me to use that word, sloth. It says it is okay for you to stay in a position of entry-level work. You don't have to worry about it because we know that there have been many, many, many increases in the minimum wage. If a person will only wait a little while longer, the minimum wage is bound to increase from 15 bucks. Maybe it is going to be 30 bucks an hour. You're getting my point. This sort of thing is robbing our entire nation of the ownership ethic. It places us in a situation where we become satisfied with the minimum. I mean, truly, instead of talking about minimum wages, we should be talking about maximum wages. Imagine that we had a maximum wage for an entry level position. The maximum wage you can earn is 15 bucks an hour for an entry level position. The incentives to escape that boundary would be immense. You know going in that you cannot in this particular position earn more than X. In this example, 15 bucks. You cannot earn more than that. If you stayed in this position 30 years, you would never make more than that. That is the maximum. If people knew that they were capped out at a certain amount, certainly the ownership incentive would grow exponentially. No one wants to feel as though this is the max they can do. See, when you say something is the minimum, there's also this sort of, you know, idea in your mind that it can rise from here, even if I'm doing the exact same thing. You see, if we want to encourage ownership, we have to consider those things that will do just that and not those things that stifle it. Okay, 
So that's where I wanted to start from today. And I want to, you know, talk about some things that relate very significantly to this. Okay. Most entry level positions are designed for younger people, you know, folks who are just starting out, you know, they've not had a job before, or if they have had a job before, it's, you know, something middling, something that's not so significant. But in today's economy, with the minimum wages and such, we are experiencing people who are not so young getting into the workforce, earning this. Now, as I said before, if you have a minimum wage that is high and it cuts into the margins of a business, they can only afford to hire a limited amount of people. So if you have both young and not so young competing for the same entry level positions and the amount of those positions is minimized itself because a company doesn't want to go broke just trying to pay folks that means that you are going to have substantial unemployment it is very difficult to employ folks at a high minimum wage and maintain full employment which is something that we want to do in this country. We have the notion of full employment. That is near impossible as you continue to raise the pay rates for employees who are basically acting in a capacity of footmen or foot soldiers. If we want to encourage our people to rise higher and higher and through that rise to fortify and strengthen our communities and our country, we can't afford to put such a massive stumbling block in the way of this type of success. This is unsustainable. We must, in fact, stay away from rises in this minimum wage. There is nothing fruitful that can come of this. Just nothing. People are learning the ropes or would be learning the ropes at a wage rate that will rob them of a desire to do better in terms of their position, their skill set, their knowledge base within that com company and also within the economy at large. Now, the minimum wage itself is the only one 
of the deleterious acts that minimize the desire for people to earn. Things that also contribute to this are programs geared towards affordable housing. First of all, the concept of affordability is a fluid one, but we do know that when folks talk about affordable housing, they're really talking about allowing people who can't really afford the market rate for housing to be subsidized by those who either can or also by people who can't either, but their tax dollars are going to support a person who happens to be able to get the affordable housing. But by minimizing artificially the cost of housing, that contributes in large measure to a person deciding that they do not have to earn. If a person is aware that someone else will foot at least some significant portion of their housing costs, what is the incentive for that person to achieve high performance levels in a job? There's very little incentive for that. There's very little incentive to go out and actually excel. You have some place to live. That is not at market rate. You're being subsidized by others who have to work very hard to have money taken out of their pocket so that the person in subsidized housing, the person in so-called affordable housing can live there. Now I know many of the folks who support this notion of affordable housing will say that not everyone can uh, obtain a market value home and in lieu of that they would be homeless on the street and in the United States of America we are not the kind of people who would do that. We are caring people okay we are caring people but how much concern do you have when you create a housing situation that would be unsustainable if a person could not rob others in order to do it How unfair is it for those who are actually earning to have to have money taken from them that they could have used for some other thing that they desired but could not because that money is going to support a person 
who is incapable of supporting themselves in that particular house. If you cannot afford the home of your dreams, you have to work toward it. Your options are not home of my dream or abject homelessness. Your options are home of my dreams, but I can't afford it. Maybe I'll have an apartment. If I can't afford that, maybe I'll move in with a roommate. If I can't afford that, maybe I'll rent a room. That is the traditional way in which people have moved up and it encouraged earning. It did not discourage earning. It did not encourage sloth. It encouraged the desire to continue to move up. To earn better. To make the dream of home ownership a reality. Another thing that hinders the ownership model, that hinders the operation of ownership, is government funded health care. If the government, in other words, the taxpayer, is subsidizing health care for folks who cannot afford health care, what is the incentive of those who cannot afford health care to put themselves in a position where they can afford health care? Why are we so bent upon making sure that our citizens settle. Why are we so convinced that people left to their own devices would starve to death? There's an old expression that Necessity is the mother of invention. If you take away necessity, you will likely take away invention. Yeah, we can have some superfluous, so some superfluous inventions, something fun and enjoyable with really no application to the existence of people, to the betterment of their production without necessity, but for things that are essential, if there's no necessity, who's going to create those things? If there's no necessity, who's going to invent that? In other words, if there's no necessity, where's the earnership? Harkening back to our first episode, George Washington and his troops were in a situation where necessity was all around them. 
And through that necessity, they invented ways to overcome. In other words, that necessity spurred on their ownership attitude. They weren't given things to make them feel comfy. They had to earn every step of the way. I cannot say it enough times. If we are given things to support us, it tends to rob us of our own initiative. Coddling causes complacency. And that is not the American tradition. We help each other. We don't own each other. In a time of need, we support. But we don't support all the time, not because we're heartless people. We don't support because if you always support, there is no incentive to support yourself. And if you don't support yourself, you don't support the country. And if you don't support the country, the country fails. Everyone response to incentive take a listen a look at the young folk when young people want to hear a certain type of music they will make that happen they don't just sit back and wait for a song when i was a kid we had the radio and we had to wait for our favorite song it didn't just come we had to wait for it but now, anything you want, you can get it, but you have to go and get it. And by subsidizing, sponsoring, coddling, disincentivizing effort, we lead people down the primrose path of ideation as opposed to execution. A human being is a combination of thought and action. But if everyone is supporting you with their action, where's yours? If you have no evidence of action, what happens to your thought? This is a 
great land, but it's only a great land because of the great people. And it's only a great people because we have been willing to earn our daily bread. We have been willing to take risks to create things that will benefit people around us. We have not traditionally been a gimme culture. We have traditionally been a culture based upon the Protestant work ethic. That carried us a long way. But it was the incentive part that carried us a long way. We understood in those days that if you worked, you would get some result. Now it's almost as if working is for suckers. Everyone wants to or seemingly wants to get things freely. And while that may work for some, if the entire culture becomes one where everyone expects to receive things freely, as we said in our second episode, we become wrong. There is no value in non-production. In fact, we have become such a consumer culture that we have almost totally turned our backs on production. We have been told that it is great to consume. But what are we producing? Where are our incentives to produce? If I am a business and I have to pay employees that are entry level 15 bucks an hour, how can I continue to produce so that folks will want to consume what I am producing? If everyone wants good X, but my cost for inputs to produce good X are $100, but my competitor who's moved his business to China for that same thing is $5, he's going to be able to produce a heck of a lot more of that good than I am for very, very low prices.
We've destabilized production. We've destabilized earning. We've destabilized the work ethic. All in the name of ease. Now, I know there are a lot of people who are not comfortable with the message of work. The message of work is old fashioned. The message, the method message of work is, you know, passe. We're into the gig economy and the hustle economy. We're not into the work economy anymore. What's in it for me? How can I turn a quick buck? Think about the housing crisis of 2008. The housing crisis was primarily the crisis of folks who bought multiple properties in order to flip them to other people and make a quick buck. Now, if you get an opportunity to make a, a profit on something that you have, great. But when it's artificial, like the housing boom was, you're going to encourage ease. You're not encouraging earning, you're encouraging ease. You're saying, okay, I don't really have to put that much effort into this. If I just do a few things, I can resell this for however much more than I purchased it in short order. But as they say, hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. We are living in an era of weakness. An era of sensibilities. An era of offense. And you may wonder, well, what does that have to do with earning? Well, when you earn, you are certainly less flighty. You know what you have to do to generate your life. You know the effort that you have to put forth to make things work out. You're grounded. much less open to offense. Things aren't affecting you in that sensibility way that people are affected today because everyone wants it easy. 
But ease is never the way to success. Not lasting success anyway. You know the phrase, easy come, easy go. These are lessons that were learned through experience. A guy wasn't living in his head when he came up with the notion that easy come, easy go. It was through experience, some outstanding, some bitter, that showed people, hey, when you get it easily, it goes just as easily. I'm telling you, we have got to get back to the notion of earning. That's what this podcast is about. It is about setting out the foundation of earning. Getting into the principles of earning. Showing you how to earn in every aspect of your life. Not just with jobs. But with your happiness, your relationships. Because by earning and building those things, we earn and build the country. It worked for 200 years. It will work now. But we are battling a huge wave. We are battling against people who have the idea that everything that happened in the past is wrong. That history is no guide to performance, but it is a warning. Don't go there. We are battling a pervasive spirit that insists that Everything that happened before we got here was somehow unreliable, was somehow unfair, was somehow unequal, was somehow racist, sexist. That the new man with the new mind knows better. That the new man with the new mind lacking all experience can somehow change the world so that everyone gets an equal outcome. So that there's no such thing as discrimination. So that you can have your cake and eat it 
mind you, without any effort whatsoever. Earners, understand what I'm trying to tell you. We are in a battle. And right now we're losing. So many of us have been willing to go along with what is happening because that is the prevailing view. The prevailing view today is that if one achieves, everyone should receive. Is that how we want to live? Is that where we want to be? Can we not see that by following that path leads to total destruction? History teaches us things. It teaches us the experience of our forebears. It teaches us what happened to people when they acted one way versus another. It teaches us that those folks who earned built societies, built cultures, built nations, and those who wanted the free ride destroyed those things. This is what history teaches. And beginning with our next episode, which will be episode four, I am going to start to break down ownership in earnest to show you its importance to show you the steps that we have to take to qualify as earners to show you the glory involved in ownership To show you that only earners create. No one else does. The creative process in fact is an earning process. Once you put aside the principles of ownership, you put aside the principles of creativity, you put aside the principles of success, you put aside the principles of winning, you put aside the principles of morality, you put aside the principles of greatness.
And a minimum wage is merely emblematic of these things. Someone, we are told, deserves to earn X amount of money merely because they happen to be human. They don't have to be skilled. As a matter of fact, they shouldn't be skilled because that's the meaning of entry level. For no skills whatsoever, you can earn this. Or should I say better, you can be given this. With no skill package, having earned nothing, having not understood the proper way to dress for an interview, you will be given this. You will be given this irrespective of your commitment to the firm, irrespective of your ability or desire to enhance it. You will be given a wage. And this is not the end of it. There are many who want to pay people just because they live. No job. You just receive a yearly income. Just because. There are now cities in the United States of America who are proposing to pay criminals not to commit crime. All earners, you have to stand up. We are being destroyed by people who think they know but don't. They think what they're doing is fair, but it isn't. They believe themselves to be helpful, but they're not. These are not evil people or bad people. They're just mistaken people. All history defies what they say. And this is why for them, history doesn't matter. We're starting afresh. Now, man has the ability to create a whole new world in some ways, yes, but based upon the old one. The principle of ownership will never go out of style. But we could ignore it. We can overwhelm it with the giveaway. And we know from history, societies that have done that are no longer here. 
So on episode four, we're going to pick up and talk about the first principles of ownership. What you must do to set the stage to be an earner. And I'm not talking merely about jobs. I'm talking about your entire life because whatever you have in your life, you had to earn it. If your life is empty, you earned emptiness by not doing the things to get fulfillment. No free rides, friends. None. What you take as free today is fully paid for in your emptiness. Your dissatisfaction. Your worry. Where there is ownership, there is peace, there is prosperity, there is success for you, for your family, for your community, and yes, most importantly, for this beloved nation called the United States of America. I am honored to have the opportunity to talk to you. I am honored to have the opportunity to talk to you about ownership and to show you its principles. If we follow them, this land will continue to rise and rise and rise, flying like that eagle, which is our symbol. But if we forget the principles of ownership, we move backwards, if we relax, if we fall, if we stay down, if we think others should come to our rescue when we can rescue ourselves, we are wrong. We are wrong. Stay tuned, folks. It's going to be an exciting ride. Earnership is here. Until next time.